0: Hey there, and welcome to the Alinea Church Podcast. You're a place to get all of Alinea Church's previous messages. This week, we begin our new series on the book of Exodus. Enjoy! We had a, uh, I w- I went to a, a Southern Baptist church in Kingsport, Tennessee, that we lovingly called a Bapticostal church. And, uh, because I knew how to get happy, as the pastor would say, uh, he would call. He would call it having a spell. And some every, every once in a while, uh, one of the papaws in the choir would get happy, and he would start running. And uh, never had that happen here. I'm not sure what I would do if someone started running the aisles. That would be new for me. Uh, but the the worship the the choir director was my youth pastor. Was um, also the a local high school football coach at Dobbins Bennett. So I'm not sure how he did all three things, um, but he was at a church conference in and, a and, uh, higher ground that was a church he we went to, it grown by leaps and bounds, and it was in a holler, literally a holler in Kingsport right across the state line in Virginia, and uh, someone asked, and they're doing a QA and a uh, and Ted, uh, there's a... Anybody I ever wanted to be like, it was uh, Ted Wilson, and uh, he uh, was up there with his Bible. And someone said, uh, "Ted, what do you think is the the uh, recipe for church growth?" And uh, he thought for a second, and he opened up his Bible and he pulled out a worship guide and he ripped it in half. And he said, that's the recipe for church growth. Let the Spirit do what the Spirit wants to do. And so I always wanted to live my life as uh, Ted had learned over his years. So let's get into the word today. Uh, when When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So, if you can have my timer up for me. So, he led the people around toward the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness, and the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. That's key. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. So, this all started with Joseph. So, Joseph and uh, his Technicolor dream coat. If you can remember that story, Joseph is, is in Egypt, and, and he has rescued his, his family Because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath saying, God will certainly come to your aid. Then you must take my bones with you from this place. And I will always love that Joseph had faith. He didn't, he didn't have any idea what this was going to look like, but he knew that they weren't staying there. They set out from Succoth. I wonder what that job would have been like. You got, your responsibility is to grab the bones. (laughs) I would have disappeared. Um, They set out from Succoth and camped at uh, Etham. On the edge of the wilderness, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in the pillar of fire to give them light at night so they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. I'm going to jump ahead into the right half of your Bible Um, in the New Testament, in the book of John. Um, And if you're new to the faith or you're kicking the tires, you're wondering what all this is about, uh, the book of John is a really great place to start and to read. Um, And it says this, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you for your goodness and your mercy, we thank you for your word. Um, God, I pray that you would preach through me. I pray, God, you would hide me behind your cross. I pray that you would empower me to deliver only what you want delivered this morning, nothing more and nothing less. Open up our hearts to receive what you have for us, including myself. In your name we pray. Amen. There's a story of uh, two prisoners that uh, wanted to escape from jail, and the only way they could escape from jail was they had to scale seven very tall walls. And so they broke out of their prison cells. as the middle of the night, and they jump over the first four prison, uh, prison walls, and their arms start burning. I don't know if you've ever went mountain climbing before or anything like that. Uh, these things right here that you don't typically use in daily life, they, they start to bulge and burn uh, because you're not used to using them. So their forearms were burning because they were scaling the walls. They scaled the fifth wall. They're starting to get winded. They, uh, they, they're mustering up every piece of energy they have. They climb the sixth wall, and they're spent. They're done. They, they don't feel like they can go any further. They only have one wall left left. And uh, one prisoner says the other, says, I don't think I can do it anymore. I'm going to turn back. Now think about that for a second. He's got one more wall to scale, but he would rather scale the six walls that he just came over, right? And I think a lot of us are so close to freedom, but we find it might be easier just to scale back over the six walls that we just scaled over when God's saying you just have one more in front of you. And this morning, we're talking about spiritual freedom. And in some instances, this actually can look like physical freedom. Maybe if you're in a bad situation and you need physical freedom. Um, But the text today is from the book of Exodus. And I want to kind of remind us of how we got here this morning. You have Joseph, which we already mentioned. He goes to Israel or he goes to Egypt. He uh, becomes a second in command in Egypt. He rescues his family And uh, over the course of 400 years, uh, the old pharaoh has passed away. New pharaohs are now in place. They don't like the Israelites, and so they're going to oppress them, right? They put them into bondage. They basically make them their workforce. Now, they cry out to God, and they're like, God, this is not what we want, and we don't think this is what you want. And they cry out to God, and it says God hears them. We talked about that um, in the first... Uh, message of this series on Exodus. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. And God hears him. He sends a man named Moses. And Moses, you know, puts up a fight at first. Like, I don't think I really want to do this. But listen, when you decide you're going to fight with God, guess who's going to win every time, right? So he finally gives up and he says, all right, God, I'm going to go do what you've asked me to do. And he goes and he performs these mighty acts of judgment. Uh, God through him and he does the nine plagues And they're all very weird and strange and disgusting. So if you want to look in Exodus about how God um, basically turns the nation of Egypt against the nation of Israel, finally on the 10th plague, we talked about this last week, it was the Passover where the angel of death is going to come, he's going to kill every firstborn, all right? And he's like, I'm killing every firstborn, but you have to take a blood of a lamb and you have to paint your doorposts with it. And if you do that, the angel of the Lord will pass over you. And that's how we get the Passover. That's actually what Jesus was uh, remembering when he was in the upper room with his disciples taking communion. So the Passover, it talks about, we talked about this last week, the four cups, the four cups of the Passover in a Jewish Seder are, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. And I will take you to be my people. Now, we're in this series on Exodus, and it's just a great story about how we end up living our lives as believers. Because, uh, in every sense of the way, we are in bondage. We are enslaved by our own mistakes. We're enslaved by our sin. That's what the Bible calls it. it calls it sin. And you, you've heard this word over and over all through your life, and you're just a sinner. And you're not really quite sure what that means. It's like, I, I do bad things. That's what, that's what you think. So a sinner is like, I do bad things. Well, sin is simply an archery term, and it means missing the mark. None of us have hit the mark of what it means to be perfect like God is perfect. It says God is holy. God is set apart. And when we sin, it means that we miss the glory of God. We miss representing fully who God is. And so we're enslaved by that. And that's not what God wants. God's purpose for us is not to be in bondage. If you you don't just see that in Exodus, you see that all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, in uh, Isaiah, it says, isn't this the fast I choose to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to tear off every yoke. God hates injustice. God hates bondage. God hates his people to be enslaved, right? And when, if you remember this about the four cups, it says, I will lead you out. So God is going to go on a journey of leading the people out of Egypt. But then he says, I'm going to set you free on top of that because it's so much easier to get the people out of Egypt than it is to get the Egypt out of the people. And I think you recognize this in your life. If you are a cross, Christ follower of any amount of time, you probably thought at some point or another that if I accept Jesus, all of my problems are going to go away. You think to yourself, I'm never going to sin again. I'm never going to do a wrong thing again. But you have this flesh, the Bible calls it the, the flesh, the, the man, the, the inner man, that's at, at odds with the spiritual man inside of us. And this is always a battle inside of us. Which one is going to win? That's why Paul says, and I love this verse. You hear me say this verse a lot because I, I I just identify with it so much. Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't. What a wretched man am I? Paul, he wrote like half of the New Testament, right? This, this thing called the Bible, and you, and you have Paul. And Paul was a murderer of Christians, and God came and radically saved him on the road to Damascus. And Paul wrote, who wrote over half the New Testament, he's like, I can't sometimes seem to figure this out, this spiritual journey, because I can't seem to control my actions. He says, oh, what a wretched man am I. But he says, oh, but for the grace of God, Jesus has overcome our sin. Jesus has overcome our bondage. Jesus has overcome our spiritual slavery. So why do we have such a hard time getting out of bondage? If the Bible says that we are free in Christ, why do we keep falling into the same pitfalls? And I think if you, if you look at the nation of Israel as they're leaving Egypt, you kind of scratch your head and wonder like, what are you thinking people? Like we have hindsight's 20, 20, we can see a bigger perspective. And so I think it's really beneficial if we look at their story and then be truthful and look at our story and go, oh yeah, yeah, I do the same thing. Yeah, I do the same thing. And I think one of the reasons we find ourselves in bondage is we value familiarity over freedom. We value familiarity over freedom. Says this in Exodus 14, as Pharaoh approached, so now the the Israelites are, are leaving, they're escaping, now, Pharaoh's like, I, this was a bad idea. This was my workforce. Like, how am I going to build these things that I want to build? So he goes after him. He says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians coming after them. And the Israelites were terrified and they cried out to the Lord for help. And then Moses said, is, and they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So they cried out for help. They cried out for freedom. God delivers them. He gives them freedom. And then all of a sudden they change their mind like, never mind. This is too hard. Never mind, this is too scary. I would rather have died in Egypt than to go through all of this mess. They valued familiarity over freedom. They valued the familiarity, even if it was the familiarity of dysfunction, they valued that over freedom. Because we love our dysfunction. Why do we love our dysfunction? Because it's all we know, we're comfortable in it. Like our mess is our mess, and we waller in it. Have you ever gone over? And I'm not going to say y'all are probably very clean. You know, cleanliness is next to godliness. And and y'all, um, my, my wife, my wife is hyper clean. And so um, you know, we go over, stay over with family or stuff like that. Um, their level of clean is not the same as my wife's level of clean. Right? Now it doesn't mean that what we walked into is bad. They're just comfortable with what they know. Now, if you go in certain parts of my house, it's not clean either because we know how to hide stuff in the closets, right? You just <laughs> shove stuff underneath the bed and everything. You, you, you get comfortable in what you're in because that's all you know. There's a philosophical allegory. It's called Plato's Cave. And Plato came up with this illustration about uh, these people that are chained inside of a cave and they're chained in such a way that the only thing that they can look at is the wall of the cave. And behind them in the cave is a fire. And people are walking between the fire and the men who are chained looking at the wall. So all the people can see who were chained are these shadows dancing on the wall of the cave. For them, that's all they know. They hear voices. It rattles around the cave. They think the voices are coming from the shadow. So the shadows are their reality. The shadows are all that they know, but If you were to look at the situation from a different perspective, you would realize that the shadows on the wall are barely a glimpse of what is really happening behind them. So he takes this allegory even further and he says, what if we were to free the prisoners so that they could see what was behind them? Some of the prisoners would turn around and they would see the fire and it would scare them because they don't know the fire. And the fire would hurt their eyes because they're all they're used to looking at is the shadow on the wall. And so what would they do? They would choose to go back to what was familiar and look at the wall instead, even though the reality was right behind them. And then Plato takes it even further. It's like, what if you were to take one of those men and drag them out of the cave so that they could experience real life? Over time, their blurriness would give way to vision. They would see the truth. They would be able to look at the people around them and see them for who they really are. They would be able to see the fields and the trees and the skies and the stars and the moon. And eventually, they would be able to look and see the sun. And he says this that it is only when the people leaving the cave truly gaze at the sun that they can understand what it's all about. Isn't that a perfect allegory for life before Christianity and life after Christianity? That when you are not a follower of Jesus, when you're caught in your own sin and you're caught in your own darkness and you're caught in your own way of life and your own bondage, that you don't see the truth for what it really is. And that when Jesus meets you like he met Paul on that Damascus road, and he opened up his blinded eyes so that he could see what was really happening. When you gaze at the sun, when you see Jesus, the son of God, for who he really is, immediately you start to see things for what they really are, and the scales fall off, and you are no not blinded any longer. The other thing that we do to keep us in bondage as we value lies over truth. We value lies over truth. It says, but Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. Imagine for a moment, an instance where Slavery, forced labor, the massacre of your children. Remember Pharaoh wanted to kill all the firstborn males. He wanted to kill all the males actually that were born in Israel because he was trying to dampen down the population. That's how Moses ended up in the basket and ended up in the river. Imagine thinking that all of that was a better solution than the situation you were in in freedom. How could they think that way? Because they were fearful. Someone looked over the hill and saw the Egyptians coming at them and they became fearful and they got scared and they realized, oh my gosh, this doesn't look good. We, we may die They were filling their heads with lies. They were filling their heads with justifications. It would actually be better for us to go back. It would actually be better for us to be in bondage. It would actually be better for us to be in slavery. They were believing lies. The thing is, is if you tell yourself a lie enough, eventually you'll start to believe it. You have these ideas of of self-deception and and self Denial. You you start to deceive yourself to to make the decision you're going to make seem, make sense. Like I I think I I need I need a new car because I need something that's reliable, and so I will get into a car payment that's eight hundred dollars a month because I need something that's reliable. And you're already in debt. You're already in over your head. And you don't make enough money to even pay the payment. But you justify it all. You start telling yourselves all these half-truths. But I need this. I really, really, I really need this. I was telling myself that this morning. I really need this cinnamon roll. I really, I really need this cinnamon roll. But I had, in Jesus' name, I had victory over the cinnamon roll this morning. I ate eggs and toast. I was very proud of myself. But you start, to, you start to justify your situation because it makes sense. To, you don't want to be wrong. How many of y'all like being wrong? Can I see a show of hands, right? It's like, a, it's like a Neo in the Matrix. You want to take the red pill or the blue pill? You know what he says when he, when he, when he gets in the red pill? He says, remember, I'm not offering you anything but the truth. He says, I, 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 you have to do the rest of the work. I'm just offering you the truth. But then you had Cypher and he's eating the steak and he's saying, I know this steak is not real, but to me, it tastes juicy and delicious and savory. And for me, ignorance is bliss. And I think many times what we do in our life is we choose ignorance because it's bliss. I know that because I have done it myself. I will choose not to see the truth because I know the truth is going to stare at me and call me out on the rug and tell me that I'm wrong and I don't want to be wrong. It will tell me that the decision I'm making is bad but I don't want to be I don't want that to be the case so I will ignore the truth. I will ignore reality. But it makes sense why we choose bondage over freedom. You can see how we get stuck in this. It's a It's a psychological term called uh, cognitive dissonance. Y'all impress all your friends at lunch today. We talked about cognitive dissonance today in church. Cognitive dissonance is the discomfort a person feels when their behavior does not align with their values or beliefs. So choosing freedom, this is what this means. Choosing freedom means... You have to acknowledge that you need to be free from something. And that means that you quite possibly may have made a bad choice in the past to put you in that bondage. Maybe you need freedom from a sex addiction. Maybe you need freedom from alcohol. Maybe you are a workaholic. Maybe you need freedom from anger issues. All of us, we desperately need freedom from our sin, Meaning we have to acknowledge, this is what repentance means. At some point, you have to acknowledge that your way was wrong, and you turn 180, you change your mind, you repent, and you begin following Jesus. And when you do that, it's discomforting. Because you have to come face to face with your bad choices. And this is what I've learned over the years. Change is hard, even if it's change for good. You know why change is hard? Because every time you change something, you lose something. And you know, when you lose something, when you lose something, you mourn it. You have to give it up. It's painful. So if all change involves loss and all loss is painful, that means all change is painful, no matter how good it is. I had a pastor teach me this one time because he said, listen, um, we were portable for 10 years and we built this brand new, beautiful building. And we moved in and we were, they were in a a revamped grocery store that was like 35,000 square feet. It was an old food lion. And they went in and they gutted it and they built it out. and, And they had this beautiful, uh, space that they were in and they were in there for about 10 years. Well, finally it was kind of, it was, it was a food line. Come on, y'all. You know what I'm saying? You probably could still, still smell the, the meat market in the back. Uh, but but they, eventually they raised enough money and they built this brand new building from the ground up. And the pastor thought, everybody's going to be so excited that we're in a new building. And he walked in the first day and there's all this pomp and circumstance. And there was a lady and she was, she was uh, uh, in her 60s or 70s. She was sa- standing in the foyer and she was crying and he was like, why are you crying? We have a brand new building. God has gifted us this, and she said, I miss the food lion. It's like, why do you miss the food lion? Because that's where my grandchildren were baptized. Every time you change, you lose something. You just have to come to grips with that. You have to give yourself time to mourn that. You have to give yourself time to realize that, hey, I'm not the best at making decisions, and that's, that's why Jesus came onto the scene. I'm, I am, I am broken in my inner being. That's why Jesus came onto the scene. You have to be able to confront the facts. You can't be an eternal optimist. I'm sorry. There's a, a book out uh, called Good to Great by Jim Collins, and he talks about the Stockdale Paradox, and it's this. Uh, it was this uh, guy that was in Vietnam. He was a prisoner of war, and he was uh, brutally tortured, brutally tortured. And when he got out, he had basically a permanent limp because his, his injuries didn't heal totally. And they, Jim Collins was interviewing him. and said, how did you make it out of that camp? And he said, I learned to confront the brutal facts without losing heart. He said, I had to have faith, but confront reality. And this is what was so interesting. He said, Well, who didn't make it out of the camp? He said, oh, that's easy, the optimists. He said, what do you mean? He said, the optimists didn't make it out. He said, the positivity peddlers, they didn't make it out. They were the ones who were saying, we're going to be out by Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving would come and go. We're going to be out by Christmas. Christmas would come and go. We're going to be out by Easter. Easter would come and go. And then before you know it, you're back at the next Thanksgiving, you're back at the next Christmas and they died of a broken heart. There's a a rabbi, his name is Jonathan Sachs, and he wrote this in the book, Dignity of Difference. He said, Optimism is the belief that things will get better. Hope is the faith that together we can make things better. Optimism is a passive virtue. Hope is an active one. It takes no courage to be an optimist, but it takes a great deal of courage to have hope. Jesus says this, Truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free. That is the truth. How do you fight lies? You fight lies with truth. And the truth sometimes is painful. You have to name the thing that is keeping you in bondage. You cannot act like me and shove stuff in the closet and underneath the bed when I'm cleaning the house. You have to call it out. You have to name things. I have had to live this. When it was unpopular to name something, I have had to name it and say, that is not right, that is hurtful, that is abusive, that is not God's plan for me. And it was only when I named things that God was able to give me deliverance. But it's unpopular to name things. No, don't rock the boat. Shh, be quiet. You shouldn't say that. You should just go along with the rest of us. You'll be ostracized. You'll be cast out. You'll be marginalized. You have to name the things no matter how painful it is because it's only when you name it, you are bringing truth to the situation. And when you speak truth to the situation, it allows God to free you. The last thing is this. We value inaction over action. We value inaction over action. So the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? tell the people of Israel to go forward. That's the ESV, the the Christian Standard Bible says, tell the people to move on. Go forward, move on. What are you doing? Why are you guys sitting there crying? Get on with it. It's kind of like the, if you want, that's the Pickwell version. What are y'all doing? Move, go. I, I thought it was interesting too that, In verse 18, I said, remember this, that they were in battle formation. And I was walking with Jennifer yesterday, and I said, I read something that I've never read before in this passage, that they were in battle formation. That means at some point or another, the nation of Israel, while they were in Egypt, had some sort of battle training. They knew what battle formation looked like. They knew how to assemble themselves. They knew how to get into ranks of 50, companies of 50. So this whole time they had been trained for battle and they never picked up a sword. This whole time they had been trained to fight and they never acted on it. This whole time they had the the capacity, they had the organization, they had the training and they never did anything about it. And you see this mindset even carry out outside of Egypt when Pharaoh is pressing down on them. What do they do? They just stand there. Oh no! Oh no! They're coming after us. What do we do? Been better if we just died there instead of dying here. And what's God say? What are you doing? Move on. I I, uh, I love the age that I have my kids at right now. So they're 14 and 16. So uh, I'm going to say some stuff, and if you disagree with me, I'm sorry. It's just me, I parent my kids the way I parent my kids. You parent your kids the way you parent your kids, it's okay. So um, I've got them now to where um, we can watch movies that I typically would not have let them watch, right? And so um, it was 4th of July, we were feeling very patriotic and I was like, you know what, we need to let them watch Band of Brothers. So I let my kids watch Band of Brothers. I mean, blood, guts and all. I mean, it, it was, It was, and I was telling them, I was like, this is, this is hard to watch. There's parts of this that are really tough to watch. But there is a scene, uh, episode six or seven, and they're coming out of Bastogne, the Battle of the Bulge, and they have to take on the town of Foy. And they have a plan. And this is what uh, Captain Winters says. He's talking to Lieutenant Dyke. He says, movement is life. He says, movement is life. You get out there, you've got to keep moving. So what happens? The battle ensues and Captain Winters is up on the hilltop and he's watching the battle unfold below him and Lieutenant Dyke is leading Easy Company to take the town of Foy and they're going down the hillside and what does Lieutenant Dykes do? He freezes, he panics, he sees the bullets flying around, he sees his comrades around him dying, getting cut down and he pauses and he freezes and he stops advancing and Captain Winters is up on the hillside and he's going, move! move go forward don't stop keep firing go forward what are you doing keep moving keep firing and when I read this verse that's what popped in my head is Captain Winters on the hilltop and me being Lieutenant Dyke kind of frozen like what do I do and this is what I think God is doing he's like what are you doing keep moving go forward pick up your gun fire a shot, do something, because we value inactivity and inaction over action. We think that if we pray about it hard enough, God will do all the hard work. And God's saying, listen, I am giving you the answer, move. I'm giving you the answer, take a step. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to come up there like a, like a puppet and take your step and go, okay, here we go. We're doing good. No, we had a company of people around him. And he's like, all of y'all get going, get going. Let's move. Let's get something done here. Cause movement is life. They teach you that when you're growing old, right? Movement is life, right? Pastor Dave, movement is life. He's the the fittest grandpa you're ever going to meet anywhere. Because he knows that movement is life. Working your muscles, working your joints, working your ligaments, being flexible, stretching. And spiritually, we forget to stretch. Spiritually, we forget to move. Spiritually, we get stagnant in all of our muscles, our spiritual muscles, they atrophy. And, and we see the bullets starting to fly around. We see the Egyptians coming over the hilltop, top and we, we stop and we freeze and we pause and we're paralyzed. And God is like, I've given you everything that you need to succeed in Jesus Christ for the love of me, move. Right? Get on with it. Take a step. John 8, 31, 32 says, Jesus said this to the Jews. Now watch this. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Not if you go through a six-step discipleship class. Not if you go through a 12 month discipleship program. Not if you do one-on-one discipleship training. None of that makes you a disciple. It says if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. And what does it happens what happens when you continue in God's word? Watch what it says. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And this is what we love. We love to cherry pick bible verses that make us feel good about ourselves if 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 the truth if we know the truth the truth will set us free we got pundits on the news saying that they know the truth and the truth will set you free and they have no idea what they're talking about because the truth is continuing in god's word movement is life continue in god's word keep pressing in don't quit move forward pick up your gun fire a shot get on your knees pray beg god to show up in your situation move do something what's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result right but we do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and, over, and we're just waiting for we're waiting for salvation we're waiting for deliverance and god is like man, what do I got to do to get you to take a step? He's like, help me, help you. All the Jerry Maguire fans, they know where I'm. There is, listen, I'm just going to say this. If you're at a certain age in this church, half the stuff that I say, you're going to have to go home and Google. But it's okay because half the stuff you say, I have to go home and Google too, so. Now watch this, watch this, Galatians 5.1. So Galatians, Paul is writing to the Galatian church. And the reason he's writing to the Galatian church is that they have accepted the faith, they have accepted the word of Jesus Christ. And they were predominantly Jews and they accepted Jesus. And when they accepted Jesus, They started their little church in Galatia, and people came in, and they said, hey, um, what, what you're doing is great with Jesus, but you need to go back to the Jewish laws. You need to do these things. And so what Paul says is he's putting them back under bondage. And Paul was saying, listen, this whole book of Galatians was written to like, hey, you've got freedom in Christ. No, you don't have to go get circumcised. we we'll talk about that later if you want to. But there was a group of people that were saying, hey, if you're going to come into the Christian faith, you've got to get circumcised. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. And so he says this. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. You're free, y'all. You're free in Christ. Stop putting yourself back under the yoke of slavery. And watch this. Why? Why freedom? We think it's for us, right? Freedom's for us. Yes, but. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Freedom is not just for you. Freedom is not just for you. Do you realize that you have the power to break generational curses on your life? Your freedom is for you. Your freedom is for your kids. Your freedom is for your kids' kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. Your freedom is for the the people around you and and your orbit of influence that they can see freedom in you. They can see a change in you that you can say I once was blind but now I see I once was lost but now I'm found and you have the power to break the chain of bondage on your life forever. So what is God calling us to do? For some of you, It's like what Moses says. You need to be still. Let God fight. For a lot of us, it is, what are you doing? Move on. I know they hurt you. Move on. I know that was difficult. Move on. I know that was painful. Blessed are those who are mourned, for they will be comforted. But mourning is not. An eternity, it is a season, move on. Maybe God has given you the answer and he's just waiting on you to take the next step. Take the next step. But for all of us, God wants us to experience the freedom that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we want everybody to have an opportunity to begin following this person of Jesus Christ because it says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And Jesus came to give you freedom from your sins. Jesus came to give you freedom from your bondage of slavery. Jesus came to give you freedom and he did it by taking your place on the cross. And so what we want to do is give everybody an opportunity to do this every Sunday. That if you've never had a moment in your life where you began following Jesus, you can do that this morning. It's not it's not the magic words. It's not anything special about this prayer. This prayer just is kind of like handlebars to, to help prepare your heart for what you're doing before God. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we give you a prayer to pray. And we just ask that everybody would pray this for the first time for the sake of those who are praying it for the first time. Just pray it out loud together. Say, dear Jesus, I love you. I am a sinner. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Come and make me new. Make me a new creation. I turn from my ways and begin following you. Well, thank you for tuning in today. If you would like more information about Alenia Church, you can go to aleniachurchorg forward slash connect. There you can enter in your information you can ask about more information about the church and you can even let us know if you've prayed to receive christ we would love to put a free gift in your hand to equip you on this new journey if you would like to partner with this ministry you can do so by going to aleniachurchorg forward slash give there you can make an easy tax deductible gift to further the reach of the gospel through elenia church would you also pray about becoming a monthly partner through your financial giving Our site makes it easy to set up a recurring schedule. Please take a moment to share this message, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you get your regular diet of podcasts. It helps us by getting the word out about what God is doing here in Middle Tennessee. If you live in the Middle Tennessee area and you don't yet have a church home, we would love to host you at Alenia Church. We hope to see you there. Remember, God sees you, He loves you, and He wants the best for you. God bless.